Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 4, verse 42, to Luke chapter 5, verse 32. Um, And it's on the order of service sheet um, or a link below the YouTube. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake at Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Our Father, we, uh, many of us, listen to uh, hundreds of sermons, study the Bible, read it. And we pray that we would be reminded today just what it is that we have, God's Word, with all the power to change, to change us, to save us, to convict us, to inspire us, to instruct us, to encourage us. And Lord, as we consider today some foundational stuff, we pray in light of Luke's stated purpose that we will know for certain what Jesus, our Saviour's mission is, that we might build upon that foundation in what we do. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now on Sunday mornings, we're back in Luke's gospel. Luke's stated purpose is that we might have certainty. And the section of Luke's gospel we're in is concerned with certainty about what Jesus' mission is. So what did Jesus come to the earth to do? What's his priority? What's his mission? What was he sent to do? And the way that this uh, theme is taught us in Luke's gospel Chapter 4, verses 14 to 30, Jesus' mission is explained. Then in the next section that we looked at last week, his mission is confirmed. Chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. And now, in the passage that Luke read, Jesus' mission is demonstrated. Now, if you want to be certain about something, 
you wanted explained to you, then confirmed, and then the next question you have is, well, show me. So explain it to me. Are you sure? Show me. That's what's going on here in Luke 4 and 5. Now, in our passage, Jesus' mission is demonstrated. And we're going to study the verses that were read over two Sundays. They're one unit, one section, but we're going to take two weeks to do this. That's a fair pace, I think. It probably cuts with the pace and rhythm of Luke himself. And we have to be careful that we don't go from this to our mission, to then the question, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? We've got to run at Luke's pace, and we've got to get our heads around what the foundation stones are. Because we'll not be clear on what we are to do, which is joining in with Christ's mission, until we are first clear on what his mission is. That makes sense, doesn't it? And that logic is in Luke, the evangelist's mind. So Jesus' mission is demonstrated in these verses, and there are four episodes that Luke links together. Now, don't let that kind of throw you that these episodes are all factual, they're eyewitness, they're historical, but the way the evangelists, the writers work is they take episodes and they block them together in order to make a point in the book they write. That's just how they work. That explains why in different Gospels some of the episodes are in slightly different order. It's not because they're confused about when it happened or what happened. All the stuff that really matters is in the right order, but they just pick and choose and put them together, these eyewitness accounts, in order to make a point. And the point that these four episodes are making are all about Jesus' mission. And let me just show you the four episodes. Firstly, verses 1 to 11, you can see it in your sheet, on one occasion. That's how it starts. Then secondly, 5, 12 to 16, while he was in one of the cities, another occasion. Episode 3, verse 17, on one of those days. So it's obvious this is not kind of sequential, one minute to the next. They're just four episodes put together. And lastly, episode 4, 5, 27 to 32, after this, so there's a connection between 3 and 4. After this, he went out and saw Levi. Four episodes put together. Now, there are five things, I think, that they teach us. And we'll do three today, and we'll do two next Sunday, God willing. So let me give you the five principles that they teach us about Jesus' mission. Up to now, we have been told that Jesus' mission is that through him or through his message, the emphasis has been on speaking, our sins can be forgiven. That's his mission, to preach, to teach, to explain, to talk, to call, that our sins can be forgiven through him. And what we get now are these five things. Number one, the power of his speaking, the power of his speaking. So his mission is speaking about the forgiveness of sins, 
Number one, the power of his speaking. Number two, the priority of his speaking. And remember that priority does not mean sole or exclusive concern. It means priority. Thirdly, the good news he speaks. Fourthly, the purpose of his speaking. And fifthly, the people he speaks to or among. Now, you might be thinking, gosh, this is ABC stuff. But think about it like this. Think about all the activities we engage in as a church. And post-lockdown, we get a chance to think through what is it exactly we should be doing because we haven't done anything or we haven't done lots of stuff for the last 15 months. As we audit or assess what it is that we do and what it is that we are equipping and training one another to do, we've got to look at the foundation stones which is what Jesus did, which, of course, links to what we are to do. Now, the first three we'll deal with uh, today. We only managed to deal with two at service one. We're going to try and deal with three in service two, and therefore I have no idea what I'm going to do next week, but we'll work all of that out. So, power, priority, and the good news. Now, I've purposely used the word speaking, so the power of his speaking the priority of his speaking, the good news he speaks, rather than preaching, for example. I view speaking as a generic term to summarize all the different ways Luke describes what Jesus does. Let me just read to you all the references to speaking in uh, the end of chapter 4 and on through chapter 5. So back in chapter 4, you may remember from uh, last week, three times the word proclaim is used. He will proclaim, he will proclaim, he will proclaim. That's an announcing word. Chapter 4, verse 22, all marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. 431 to 32, he was teaching them. 436, they were amazed and said, what is this word with which he commands? 443, I must preach. 5.1, the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. 5.3, he taught. 5.4, he was speaking. 5.5, 5, your word. 5.17, teaching. 5.27, he said, follow me. And then lastly, 5.32, he came to call the righteous. So I've used speaking to encapsulate all these different Speaking words like proclaim, gracious words, teaching, commands, preach, word of God, taught, speak, call, are all speaking words. Now you go right forward, and this is me breaking the rule I just said, we're, we're going to move beyond the foundation stones to what we do as a church. And what do we do? We preach the word, that's what I'm doing now of what we are doing now, more to the point. Preaching is speaking and listening. We are all under the authority of God's word, preached now. 
kind of above my head, over all of our heads. And we speak and teach the Bible in our small groups, and we have conversations outside, which is stuff like Jesus did. And we do one-on-one stuff. It's all there in the foundation stone. It's all there. All this word stuff. It's all about speaking. Now, number one, the power of Jesus speaking. The power of Jesus speaking is Luke's main point in verses 1 to 11 of chapter 5. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people. Uh, Shut your eyes and imagine you're at the beach. It is a large crowd. I've got my eyes shut. I'm on Gullen Beach. I can't read my notes. And uh, Jesus is standing by the lake and he is so pressed in on by the crowd that he kind of steps back and his feet get wet. They're pressing in on him. Why? Now, just note this. Because they were hearing the word of God. It's an eagerness. The word of God. They're eager to hear him. Jesus speaks the word of God. No less. That's why his speaking is so powerful. Translate all the way forward to what we have, which is the apostolic testimony, which is Jesus' words in Scripture. Jesus inspired the apostles to write. Whenever the word of God is preached, taught, spoken, or read, we are hearing the word of God. That's a big deal. Come on a Sunday and hear God speak. That's what's happening. Now, the power of Jesus' word is demonstrated by the miracle that follows. And we need the miracle to teach us how powerful Jesus' word is. Because if you were there that day and Jesus was speaking, it would not be rhetoric that was so incredible or persuasive. I mean, there he was on the edge of the lake, then he went into this, the boat to, to preach. And the Word of God has the power, not in the rhetoric. It's powerful, powerful, powerful. But much of the Bible talks about the, the weakness of the Word, like a mustard seed, like a seed that grows all by itself, Foolishness, weakness, weakness, weakness. So, as I preach now, there is nothing about rhetoric that does anything in us. It might just make us listen practically. But the power is in the word that is spoken. How powerful. Well, The boat Jesus is in, he's got out in a boat to preach because the crowd is so big, belongs to Simon Peter. Simon is not in the boat. They have finished fishing, are on the shore washing their nets. There are a couple of boats, uh, Simon's boat. The other boat belongs to James and John, sons of... Why all these details? Because this is eyewitness 
testimony. It's just how it was. And the boats are on the shore, Simon, Peter, James, and John, they're washing their nets. Jesus gets into Peter's boat. Peter must have cast him a glance saying, you know what you're doing, Jesus? And maybe he got in the boat with him, that's probable. And uh, verse 4, when they had finished speaking, in other words, when he'd finished teaching the crowd, he said to Simon, he said, Simon, who was washing his nets or got back into the boat so that Jesus wouldn't float away, he said, Simon, I want you to put out into the deep water and I want you to put your nets down for a catch. And Simon said, and there's no cynicism here, I don't think that's in the, the text. He said, Master, look, we toiled all night and caught nothing and probably don't go fishing in the middle of the day in deep water, all that. But it, Peter's thinking, well, this is not... But here's, here's a great way to live your life. But at your word, I will do what you say. There's a great way to live your life. I don't understand. I don't want to. I don't get it. But you say it, so I'll do it. I've never met, I'm trying to think out loud, I don't think I've ever met anyone in pastoral ministry when they have done what God's Word said and after time have come to the conclusion it was the right thing to do. Everyone thinks that. Everyone thinks that. But at the time, it's not easy. But he did it. And, gosh, this is some miracle. Too many fish for one boat. Peter calls James and John. James, John, come over here. And there are too many fish for their boat. And both boats begin to sink. I just think what's going on here is that Jesus wants to catch three disciples that day, not one. So they all see the fish. And the point is that the miracle is to demonstrate the power of Jesus' word. How powerful, miraculous, or power that multiplies. So when you speak, there's not one fish, but hundreds of fish. When you sow, there is not one ear of corn, but a harvest. 30, 60, 100 times, there's another biblical image. Against all the odds, Jesus' word fills a boat with fish. That's what's happening. Against all the odds, Jesus' word fills a boat with fish. Now, we've got to connect the miracle with the word. Go and let down your nets for a catch. In other words, there will be a catch. He does it. There is miracle and the word. Miracle and the word. That's what Luke is wanting us to see. And beyond the fish, Jesus speaking, which is powerful, is not about catching fish. The power with which he spoke, seen in the miraculous catch of fish, is the power with which he speaks seen in the miraculous catch of people. 
on this particular day, Peter, James, and John. And uh, think of the other common image in Scripture, the seed sown on the paths multiplies 30, 60, 100-fold. I mean, the seed that fell into Peter, James, and John's heart that day multiplied exponentially through their ministries, didn't it? Now, notice the reaction of Simon Peter. This is not what you'd expect, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he got out his phone and he videoed it. And he shared it on Facebook. Or he said, look, come and see. He's already said that, but now, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, it is the miraculous catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's not what you expect, is it? We would have expected Peter, possibly, I mean, the get out your phone thing is a silly thing or whatever the equivalent was, we would have expected him in a serious spiritual response to marvel at the power and authority of Jesus. You are the Christ. That comes later. But now he falls down before Jesus saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Not I disbelieved you when you said take your boat out into the deep water, but I am a sinful man from my toes to my head. You know, when you tell off a child, your child, and they, they're guilty, they don't look you in the eye, do they? What do you say to them as a parent? Look at daddy in the eye. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. There was a time later on in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, when Peter denied Jesus three times. The Lord turned and looked straight at him. Here, Peter, before the Lord, depart from me. I can imagine he's not even looking into Jesus' eyes, for I am a sinful man. What does the Word of God do? The Word of God, this is Luke's point, convicts us of sin. What chance of that is there? What chance is there when you hear the Word of God preached or spoken or proclaimed that you will be so undone as a human being that you fall on your knees before Jesus Christ and say, depart from me, sophisticated me with all of the credentials that I can bring to the table, depart from me for I am a sinful man. That is as miraculous as the miraculous catch of fish. Every time it happens. Ordinary, words, weak, gospel truth convicts of sin. And Jesus is wonderfully gracious to Peter. In light of Peter's confession of sin, Jesus makes a promise, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I'm going to involve you in my mission. There's a lot of water to go under Peter's bridge. that will lead in the end of John's gospel to Jesus say to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Cancelling out his denial and then the exhortation, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. 
And uh, verse 11, it finishes, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him, Peter, James, and John. That day they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, that's not to say that for everybody, when Jesus calls us, we leave everything and followed us. Oh, yes, it is, because that's what you've done. I mean, in the deepest sense you have, you've renounced self for Christ. You've renounced love and affection for anything for him. And if Jesus pitched up here in person or through his word convicts you to give away all of that for him, you would do it, I would do it without question. Because we love him. That's how powerful Jesus' word is. Then, and still, that's Jesus' mission, speaking. That's where the power is manifest. Second, priority. The priority of Jesus speaking in the second half of chapter 4, Luke records, you can remember this maybe from last week or listen if you uh, didn't, uh, if you weren't here. Luke chapter 4, the second half, Luke records the dilemma Jesus faced there was an evening in Capernaum, it's in chapter 4, verses 38 to 41, when everyone in the town, now think of this, everyone in the town who was sick or demon-possessed was brought to Jesus and he healed them. I also, no wonder Luke says they witnessed extraordinary things that day. Just imagine that. There wouldn't be many people left in their houses. And if we had been there, we would have taken our sick relatives to Jesus. Oh, no, we wouldn't because we know what the priority is. Oh, yes, we would. I would have. I would have gone. But the next morning, back in Luke 4, Jesus is gone. He goes off to a desolate place and resolves what his priority must be. Verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, for I was sent for this purpose. That is his priority. Now, Jesus sets his heart on that priority the morning after he healed every single person in a town who was sick or demon-possessed, because he is a kind, loving, compassionate Savior, and his heart went out to these people. There's no equation here or calculation or assessment. The divine human king is broken at what he sees. But in the morning, he goes off to a desolate place to pray. And when he's found by the disciples and others, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom. For I was sent. That word sent is mission. I was sent for this purpose. What's his mission? To preach the good news of the kingdom. Now, that dilemma that Jesus resolved, and it's a dilemma in the heart, it's not like a forensic exercise, it's worked out on the ground in real life, is all repeated here in chapter 5. 
And remember what I said at the beginning about going at Luke's pace. Why is this point made again? Why are we back on decision territory? What is it that Jesus has come to do so that we will be certain? Is it really true? Is it really true that your priority is speaking the gospel? The other reason we are back on the same ground is that so we are absolutely clear that Jesus' priority is in no way, in no way, a lack of compassion for people's physical and holistic needs. Verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man, Luke's emphasis, Luke's a doctor, he knows what he's saying, full of leprosy. The disease had consumed his life. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. Remember, Peter had fallen on his face. He fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Ruth, you read it like he said it. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. That's remarkable. A leper saying, I will, I am willing, I can be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus charged him, that's a really strong word, not to tell anyone, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them so he could re-enter society. But, I mean, would you have told people? I would have told people. I would have told somebody for prayer, as you do, and that person would have shared it for prayer with someone else. Yeah. Uh, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed. Notice great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed. And it's interesting that Luke says to hear and be healed. To hear, it's not that they're not wanting to hear him. But they want to be healed as well as you and I would. Let me make that more contemporary as you and I do want now both. Don't you? Don't you want that for people you love in your families, spiritual and physical healing? What will Jesus do? Well, verse 16, he withdrew to a desolate place to pray. That's just a reprise of what we had a few minutes ago. After that night in Capernaum when he healed everybody, the next morning he withdrew to a desolate place to pray and said, I must preach the gospel. For that is why I have come. Here again, after he has healed this leper, he withdraws to a desolate place to pray. It's just a mirror. And now we see in action what the main thing is. Without any sense in our hearts, and this is what the Word of God does for us, without any sense in our hearts, that making the decision he is about to make lacks any compassion. 
Jesus was teaching, verse 17. All the Jewish religious leaders were there. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. That's just a reminder that Jesus' power was not running out when his miracles stopped quite soon in Luke's gospel and he focuses on the cross. It's not because his power has waned. A paralyzed man is brought to Jesus, lowered down through the roof because there is no room, and faced with this man's terrible physical plight. Jesus sees a greater need. Because he sees a greater need, he, with his divine sight, addresses the greater need and so demonstrates a greater compassion. What does he do? He tells the man the good news that his sins are forgiven. Now that is a watershed moment. And it's crystal clear. And the question to us, are we persuaded? Are we persuaded by Luke that speaking is Jesus' priority. I think probably in our heads, but what about our hearts? We must be certain Because if we're not certain about this, about Jesus, we will never be certain about what our priority as a church is. This is foundational stuff for everything. Now, I'm not going to do point three, the good news Jesus speaks, for two reasons. We're running out of time, and I need to finish in the same place because I've got to preach the same thing twice next week. Let me finish, though, with uh, this reflection. We've seen, or Luke is teaching us, that Jesus' mission is to speak the good news. The emphasis in our verses today has been on the power of his speaking and the priority of his speaking. The next bit is to remind us what the good news is, your sins are forgiven. Are we convinced, are we certain? Let me finish with this reflection. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's a promise. He said it. What has happened in Chalmers in the last 15 months? Almost everything that we do as a church has had to stop when you actually think about it. Loads of stuff. Yet the church has continued to grow. 
There's a fighting chance that the church has grown more in the last 15 months than in any previous 15 months, at least since I've been here. People have become Christians, people have grown in their faith, Redeemer has been planted, established, and is now independent, money has been raised for the building redevelopment, mission partners have been sent out, and there is unity. How? Because we have extremely gifted people at interpreting the coronavirus regulations, I don't think so, because we have got some kind of massive PR machine. Why? Because while many, many things have had to stop, preaching, teaching, speaking, reading the Word of God has not stopped at all. It's not happened in person, which has been hard, but the Word of God has been at work week by week, Sunday by Sunday, children's group, youth club, CCY, impact, Zoom groups, preaching, teaching, speaking the truth in love. And God in the church in this country and all over the world, all we've been left with is the Word of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and other Christians. People listening to God's Word more regularly, people going to small groups more regularly, and let's not miss the important lesson, the power, the priority of preaching, teaching, speaking the Word of God. Now, please don't hear this as Chalmers' agenda. If it's Chalmers' agenda, we need to scrub that agenda. We've got to be persuaded it's the Lord Jesus' agenda. Without that conviction that the power and priority is in the Word of God, spoken, churches will die. During the pandemic, that death will be accelerated. That's what's happened. And with that conviction, churches have struggled during the pandemic and struggled in bold. It's been horrible, like everywhere else. But the church under the authority of Jesus' word, has not stumbled for a single day. Not a single day. And it all starts with certainty, not about what we do, but about what Jesus' mission is. If that's what Jesus' mission is, then I am persuaded. Now, there are all sorts of things ahead in Luke's gospel that will challenge us, that might affirm us, like, who is it, Jesus says, that you are actually speaking to? Are the people you are speaking to all like you? All that stuff. But speaking Jesus' word is how he builds his church. Let's pray. Peter's words depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for those who spoke this word to us in his power to convict us of sin and the good news of the gospel that through the Lord Jesus our sins can be forgiven. 
Thank you for what Jesus did to achieve our forgiveness. Dying on a cross, bearing our sin, and taking the punishment we deserve so we can be forgiven. Thank you that the one who resolved to make preaching the gospel, the good news of forgiveness, his priority was himself the means of that forgiveness. Thank you for enabling us to listen to this good news and to respond with faith. And if we are under conviction of sin and have not yet responded with faith, trusting Jesus for forgiveness, help us to do so now. If we have already, deepen our sense of thanksgiving, deepen our sense of assurance in our fellowship with the Lord and with one another. For Jesus' sake. Amen.